0: Good to be back with you church and uh, off a great week of mission and it's great to get back into the word of god and to be able to start here in romans chapter 7 this is one of those chapters in the scripture that so much has been written about this actually many of you may not know it but is one of the most controversial chapters in all of the bible and not so much what we're going to look at this week but what we're going to look at next week so i hope that you'll come Uh, Next week as well because these next two messages are vitally important and uh, I want you to really gain understanding of the importance of what we find here in chapter 7 to our daily lives. So please make plans to be here next week as well. But chapter 7 verse 1 through 13 is where we are this morning and as we keep talking about this glorious gospel that Jesus Christ has given to us. We want to talk about the fruit that we are producing as believers in Jesus Christ. If there's one thing I want you to think about this morning, I want you to consider with me, it's really what chapter 6 through chapter 8 are talking about. And the idea that I want you to get from this, if I could sum it up in one sentence, it would be this Do you realize that you have been set free? You've not been set free to sin, you've been set free from sin. Folks, there is a major difference in thinking among believers and among people that, that come to a chapter like this, really chapter 6, 7, and 8, because there are many that want to believe that because of what Jesus Christ has done, it doesn't matter how we live. Because of what Christ has accomplished, You know, it's the question that was asked in chapter 6, verse 1. What shall we say then? Shall we go on sinning so that grace may abound? And the answer was absolutely not. God forbid that we live that way. And so this morning we're continuing with this idea of sanctification. This idea that not only have we been justified... Which is that moment that God said, You're not guilty because of what Christ has done on the cross. But now, part of salvation is being sanctified. When you think of salvation, many times you wrongly think about it in the terms of, you know, once I'm saved, that's all there is to salvation. We think that really the moment we receive Christ, uh, we almost think that everything that needs to occur occurs right there in that moment. And that's just not true. Salvation is something that is happening. In process, it is something that is guaranteed if our faith is in Christ, our salvation is complete. He has promised us, He will make good on His promise. But I want you to know that when we talk about salvation, it is right to say that we have been saved and we are being saved. Think about that a second I've been saved, and yet I'm being saved. No doubt, God declared us not guilty no doubt he said that we are sanctified and it's just as if we had never sinned and in that moment the penalty of sin was paid for but now we sit in this process this this second part of salvation that we call being sanctified being made more and more into the image of Jesus Christ and I don't know about you but but living for Jesus is an everyday battle Living for Jesus is one of those things that every moment of every day I realize that I need the gospel. I realize that I need Jesus Christ in his grace, in his mercy, in his power, moment by moment by moment. I realize that the victory that's going to be had in my life has everything to do with Jesus. That without him, I can do nothing. Without him, I can't be transformed. Without him, I can't change. Without him, I can't overcome. I can't be freed from the power of sin. And that's what Jesus wants to do in us. Every day as we live in this life, he's helping us to become more and more like himself. When we get to Romans chapter 7, let me read these verses to you, 1 through 13. And I'm not going to lie to you. As you read through it, you're going to go, wow, wait uh, That's that's a lot of information. We're going to get through it today, and I hope that you're going to come away really understanding what this verse is dealing with and why this verse is so important, or these verses. In in verse 1 it says, Or do you not know, brethren, for I am speaking to those who know the law, that the law has jurisdiction over a person as long as he lives. For the married woman is bound by law to her husband while he is living, but if her husband dies... She is released from the law concerning the husband. So then, if while her husband is living, she is joined to another man, she shall be called an adulteress. But if her husband dies, she's free from the law so that she is not an adulteress, though she is joined to another man. Therefore, my brethren, you also were made to die to the law. "...through the body of Christ, so that you might be joined to another, to him who was raised from the dead, in order that we might bear fruit for God. For while we were in the flesh, the sinful passions which were aroused by the law were at work in the members of our body to bear fruit for death. But now we've been released from the law, having died to that which we were bound, so that we serve in newness of the Spirit and not in the oldness of the letter." What shall we say then? Is the law sin? May it never be. On the contrary, I would not have come to know sin except through the law. For I would not have known about coveting if the law had not said, you shall not covet. But sin, taking opportunity through the commandment, produced in me coveting of every kind. For apart from the law, sin is dead. I was once alive apart from the law, but when the commandment came, sin became alive and I died. And this commandment, which was to result in life, proved to result in death for me. For sin, taking an opportunity through the commandment, deceived me and through it killed me. So then the law is holy, and the commandment is holy, and righteous, and good. Therefore, did not that which is good become a cause of death for me? May it never be. Rather, it was sin, in order that it might be shown to be sin, by affecting my death through that which is good, so that through the commandment, sin would become utterly sinful. All right, shake that off a little bit. I'm going to help you walk through this and work through this. That's a lot. But I want you to understand how important this is this morning. This text has the potential and the power, like all of the Scripture, to challenge and to change your thinking and to change your life. And I want to begin with with just a quick reminder. My first point is really a reminder for us that as we walk through, especially this, this important section of Scripture, we have to remember that it is our greatest role to receive And embrace the gospel of Jesus Christ. You need the gospel today like you've needed it before you were saved. You need the gospel today. You need grace today. You need power today. You need to walk in the Spirit today as much as you've ever needed it before in your life. When we talk about the gospel of Jesus Christ, every day this is what must happen in the life of a believer. We must grow in our understanding of it. You look at a verse like this and you say, wow, that's hard to understand. Folks, you need to understand it. The scripture isn't always easy. The scripture takes study. The scripture takes prayer. The scripture takes you getting in a place where it's quiet, where you can let God speak to you and open up your eyes to the truth. While this text on its surface looks confusing, I assure you if you slow down and read it and ingest it and ask God to give you understanding, there is much truth that will transform your life. Our role as believers is to grow in our understanding of the gospel, but we also must grow in our appreciation of it. The more you read the good news of Jesus Christ, the more you take in and ingest this word, the more theology captures your mind and your heart, let me tell you what's going to happen. You are going to grow in your appreciation of what it is that Jesus Christ did for you. Because the closer you get to him, the more you understand the gospel, let me tell you what's going to happen. Your life is going to be transformed. The more you come in contact with the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ, and the more you ingest it, let me tell you what's going to happen. Transformation is going to happen. Life change, not just in your relationship with God, but your relationship with everyone around you. Everything changes when you're confronted with the gospel. And I want to remind you, it wasn't just for that day 20 years ago when some of you received Christ. I want every day to be like that moment when your eyes opened up fresh and new to the possibility of life in Jesus. Because that is what will lead us to worship. That is what will lead us to praise. That is what will make us appreciate more than anything else this gift that has been given to us from Jesus. A gift we didn't earn. A gift we didn't deserve. A gift that literally... He gave to us in spite of ourselves when we see exactly what Christ has done for us. Listen, we grow in appreciation of the love and the mercy and the grace and the sacrifice that Christ has given to us. And we also must grow in our application of it. What good does it do to know the gospel? And let me challenge you today, church. What good does it do for you to know the gospel but not be changed by it? What good does it do if you can recite the truth but never yield to the truth? What good does it do to memorize Scripture yet never allow the Scripture to change the direction of your life, to change your heart, to change who you are? I want to ask you the question today today. Is life change occurring right now in your life because of the gospel of Jesus Christ? Can you honestly say that you are a hearer of the word? Now, when you receive that good word from Jesus, that good news from Jesus, that salvation is possible, not just That one day you won't die and go to hell, but literally today you can begin living life that literally those things that have been taking you away from your walk with Jesus, they can be restored through the power of the gospel. Through faith you can live a life that honors and pleases God. And you take that truth and you apply it to your life because that's what these verses are talking about today. receive and embrace the gospel growing in our understanding our appreciation and our application of the gospel and when we get into these verses today what I want you to see is that as we get into verse one it says or do you not know brethren for I am speaking to those who know the law that the law has jurisdiction over a person as long as he lives he's going to go into an illustration here About a married woman and he basically says that to a person who is alive he lives under the law. But once a man dies he's no longer under the law and he gives the illustration of marriage. He says while a couple is alive if both are living they've made a covenant they've made a promise together. The law applies to them. We all know that the law of God says that marriage is to be between one man and one woman for one lifetime. And he says that nothing changes that law. Not our feelings, not culture. And he says that every day we live under that law and the only way for someone to get out from under that law is to die. As long as we're alive, we're under the law, but if we die, we're no longer under it. It makes sense that the woman, if her husband was alive, chose to be with another man, then she would be an adulteress. However, if her husband died, no longer are they under that law of marriage because one of them has died and now she is allowed to remarry. It's a very simple illustration concerning the law. And what I want you to see this morning is that he says that the law for us We've died in Christ. We don't have to live our life trying to obey the law anymore in the sense of we believe that by obeying the law, we can be saved. By obeying the law and being perfect, we can somehow earn God's favor. What the Word of God tells us this morning is that we are no longer married to the law in that sense, but we have died with Christ. And because we've died with Christ, we're no longer married to the law. But guess who we're married to now? To Jesus, our unity and what we're unified with and what we are united to is no longer the law. We're not bound by that law any longer. That is not the way any of us will ever be saved. And he says that we are free from the law because we are now unified with Jesus Christ. I want you to think about the difference that that makes in your life. Because you see, there are things, and and, and the first point that I want to make concerning this text, we already talked about an overarching thing I wanted to discuss today. But I want you to also see, secondly, that there is a goodness of the law and there is an inability of the law. The goodness of the law is the law in the lives of people has a purpose. The scripture makes clear that God gave us the law and he wants us to know that the law is good. Sometimes people want to say, well, the law must have been bad. God gave us the law and when he gave us the law it showed us our sin and once we realized we were sinners we realized that now we were condemned and now death has come in because he gave the law and we start to think well there's something wrong with the law. Why did God give the law? The law must be evil and God says absolutely not. The law isn't evil. What does the law do? It shows us That we are evil. The law shows us that we are sinners. There's nothing wrong with the law. I want you to understand that the law shows us the character of God. The law reflects the righteousness of God. The law reflects the holiness of God. There's nothing wrong with the law. The law just simply acts as a mirror to us. I don't want to do this, but imagine if I went home and I took a mirror and I drew out the shape that I should be on that mirror. Could you imagine that? That every day got to go and you got to step up to that mirror, and every day when I step up to that mirror, I see where I'm outside the lines. Let me ask you a question. Is it the mirror's fault that I'm fat? I mean, can I blame the mirror? Can I say that those lines are evil? I mean, I want to say that. But the problem isn't the lines on the mirror. The problem is the flab on my sides. And that's what he's saying about the law. That there's a goodness in the law. And he says, he uses this illustration... About this woman, who and and he begins by simply saying, I want you to understand, I mean, the point of really 7, 1 through 3 is to reflect in us that we're no longer bound by the law because the law never could save us. We need something other than the law to be saved and that something is a someone and his name is Jesus. He didn't come... To get rid of the law, what did it say that he came to do? He came to fulfill the law. And the law says that the wage of sin is death. The law, as we look into it and we look into that mirror, we recognize just how utterly sinful we are. And the Bible says that those who commit sin, the wage of sin is death. And Jesus loved us so much That while he could have given us death and he could have righteously judged us and allowed us to be condemned and sentenced to eternity apart from him, he loved us so much he didn't do that. Instead, he came and he fulfilled the law and he died on a cross and paid the price for the sins that we committed. He died in our place. And now the question becomes, Do you realize yet that you were crucified with Christ and that you died with Him? And when you died with Him and you united yourself to Him, the law no longer can touch you. Now, You may want to say, well, doesn't that lead towards sin? We talked about that last two weeks ago and and last week. You don't presume on grace like that. What kind of a person would we be if we looked at Jesus and said, you know what, I'm glad you died for me, and I'm going to keep sinning so that you'll keep dying. What kind of a person does that? (laughs) Do you see how it's meant to motivate and change our heart and challenge us to live a life of gratitude a life of thankfulness a life that if we've been set free why would we run back to the cage that he just set us free from he says you know what you're no longer bound by that law instead you are now united to me that's going to become important here in a minute let me tell you about the goodness of the law and the inability of the law The goodness of the law is that it shows us our sin, and you say, well, that doesn't feel good when we have to look in that mirror and see those lines and realize that we're outside the lines. But folks, I'm going to tell you, if it wasn't for the law, we would never get to a place of desperation where we would run to Jesus realizing that we are utterly sinful. The law has its purpose. The law has its place. It reveals the sinfulness of our sin. It reveals just how depraved we are. I love the way Augustine put it. He said, human nature is inherently rebellious. He said, if you give us a law, we will see it as a challenge and we will seek to break it. The law shows just how sinful we are. I found it interesting, I I read a story years ago about a hotel in Galveston, Galveston, Texas. If you want to know what the law does for us, it it simply shows us how utterly sinful we are. Literally, they caught a man one day fishing. The hotel sat right on a river, literally, where, where, I mean, it was just right on the edge. If you've ever been to some of those downtown places, you see where they build the rivers, I mean, the, the hotel's that close to the river. They said one day they caught a man fishing outside his hotel window. Directly into the river. It could have been me. If I had thought about it, I would have. But you know, it was crazy. They'd never really had an issue like that before. And they thought, my goodness, have people been doing this all along? And so they put things in every room that simply said, please do not fish from your balcony. Once they put a law in place, guess what suddenly happened? They said that it quadrupled the number of people that suddenly decided that they now have to fish outside their window and the only way they could get it to stop, guess what they had to do? They had to take the signs down because wherever there's a law, guess what people want to do? Yes. Because there's something inside us that says, I want what you tell me I can't have. You show me a law, I'll show you that people not only break that law, but once that law gets put in place, once that law is spoken, once that law is given, now that law multiplies sin, not because there's something wrong with the law, but there's something wrong with us. If it says keep out, we're going to try to get in. If it says, do not cross this rail, you go to Canada every year. And let me tell you, there are people that it'll say, do not get over this rail. Do not climb this rail. And it is inevitable. Not only will people climb the rail, they will take a picture of themselves by the sign that says, do not cross the rail. How do I know that? I do have a picture. I should have shown it. I didn't think about putting it up there, but I could have. Because that's how we are. It shows us our sin, but it also condemns us of our sin. It's like that mirror that shows us what we should be and allows us to compare that to what actually is. But the problem is not the law. The problem is the reaction to the law. The law simply reveals our proclivity to sin And we cannot blame the law because I want you to think about it. When you blame the law for your sin, I want you to know that you're basically blaming something that is just simply stating to you what the will of God is. That's all that the law is, is a statement on what God's plan is, what God's purposes are, what God's will is for you and for me. And we can't call God's will evil, can we? We can't blame God for simply showing in us what is wrong with us. The problem isn't the law, it is our sinful nature. And also, I want you to know, thirdly, that it can not acquit us of our sin. It shows us our sin, it condemns us of our sin, but let me tell you one thing the law can never do. It cannot save you from your sin. I want you to think about it for a moment. All the law can do, all the law can do, all the law can do is condemn you. Because every day you measure yourself against it, what is it saying? Guilty. 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 That's all the law does. Aren't you glad that you're dead to the law and that you're united in Christ and that we can hear the words from Jesus, not guilty? (laughs) You see why we need the gospel spoken into our own hearts over and over and over? Because I'm going to tell you what, there are many of us that we still want to live under the law and we live under the guilt and the shame of sin so much that we never hear Jesus say to us, not guilty, and let it soothe our soul and overwhelm our soul and get us back to the place where we say, that's right, I'm not guilty. That's right, I'm not stuck in my sin. That's right, I'm not a slave anymore to the sin that keeps wanting to yell at me and scream at me and tell me how much I need Jesus. I'm comfortable in the fact now that I know how desperately I need him, and I'm going to run to him. You can't run to the law because all it will do is condemn you, and it cannot acquit you. And I want you to understand, too, that the law cannot change us. That's a problem with people that live in legalism. Legalism is one of the most horrible lies that the devil has ever given to us. It makes us rely on ourselves, it makes us focus on ourselves, it makes us worship ourselves. The problem with legalism is that legalism leads us down a path of failure. It leads us to just more sin and to more death. I want you to think about it. Think about what happened in the law in the Old Testament where Jesus gave them some commandments, but they kept adding to the commandments, and they kept adding to the commandments. Why did they keep having to add to the commandments? Because they couldn't keep the first ones that God gave them. And in order to try to be law-abiding citizens, and in order to try to be good enough to go into the presence of God, they made more rules, and they made more rules, and they made more rules, and all the rules they were making were meant to do was to hide the fact that the original laws said you are completely guilty and utterly helpless without jesus and all legalism does is add more guilt and more shame and more rules and more laws and you never find freedom in the law like when you find freedom by being united in jesus christ in his death his burial His resurrection and Jesus can literally look at you and say, you are free. Because the goodness of the law is that it shows us our sin. And how much we need Jesus, but the inability of the law, it condemns us. It cannot acquit us. It cannot change us. The law can't do those things. Thirdly, I want to look at our identity. If our identity isn't found in the law, then our identity now, as believers in Jesus, it is found in our union with Christ. I want you to see where it says, beginning there in verse 4, it says, Therefore, my brethren, you also were made to die to the law through the body of Christ so that you might be joined to another. So now you're dead to the law, but now you're alive to God and you're joined in in unity to Him. And it says, to Him who was raised from the dead in order that we might bear fruit for God. For while we were in the flesh, the sinful passions which were aroused by the law were at work in the members of our body to bear fruit for death. He says that before we knew Christ, Paul here is talking about his life before Christ. This is a picture of who we were before we knew Jesus. He says all we could do was present our bodies in a way that we would ultimately bear the fruit of death. The wage of sin is what? Death. And all of the law says is that you were a sinner and makes you keenly aware that you are facing consequence and condemnation Because of sin. And he says that you no longer have to live that way. Allowing yourself to just continue in sin. That is continuing you on a path towards death and destruction. He says instead in verse 4. He says that you can be joined to another. To him Jesus who was raised from the dead. In order that we might bear fruit for God. Folks your identity is found in our union with Christ. I want you to see that knowing who we are matters. This is where the Bible comes in and gives us the wonderful promises. Because in Christ, you know what the Bible says about us? The Bible says that we now are not slaves to sin, but we're slaves to righteousness. The Bible says that we're no longer living in constant defeat because we can't overcome this sin. But now, because of our unity with Christ, our sins have been forgiven. He has empowered us to live a life for Him. And now, rather than being defeated, it says that we are more than conquerors in Christ. Over and over in this word, not only does it tell us beautifully and wonderfully and rightly who God is. Not only does it accurately tell us without Jesus who we are, but I praise God that He says when you come to grips with the gospel of Jesus Christ and you die to yourself and you follow Jesus and you seek his forgiveness and you repent of your sins and you follow him, he tells you what you can be in him. And, folks, let me ask you the question Have you really come to grips with who you are in Jesus? Are you going to keep clinging to sin when Jesus says you can let go of it? Are you going to keep settling for sins that Jesus says you are free from? Or are you going to agree with him that, you know what, I am free? See, Jesus forgives our law-breaking. And he gives us his Holy Spirit. Folks, the Holy Spirit in you is the power that resurrected Jesus from the dead alive in you to give you resurrection power to overcome the sin that is in your life. It doesn't mean that we don't wrestle. It doesn't mean that we don't struggle. It doesn't mean that in this life everything is going to be easy. But I want you to know that never do you have to surrender to sin. He imparts a new desire and a new ability so that our greatest pleasure becomes bringing pleasure to God. You see, ultimately, that's who we become in Jesus Christ. If you want to know how do we overcome, how do we live victorious, it is because Jesus gives in us a new desire. and Not just a new desire, but a new ability. Understand that. Not just the want to, but he gives you what you need to be able to. A new desire and a new ability to recognize and to realize that the greatest pleasure that could ever come in our life is the pleasure that comes from pleasing him. You see, many of you don't realize it. That is, (laughs) There is so much truth in that statement. Because you're looking for ten ways to stop doing this, ten ways to stop doing that. You want self-help. You want me to give you a way to figure out how to stop sinning when the reality is it's not about those things. What it's about is he changes you from the inside out and he gives you new desires and new abilities to be able to please him through the strength of his spirit. But you also have to realize it's knowing who's We are. Knowing who we are matters, but knowing whose we are matters just as much. Christ's death has secured our release from the law and our remarriage to Him. Let those words sink in a second. When Jesus Christ died for us and was buried, and rose again, what happened when he died was that his death secured our release from the law. Remember the illustration in the beginning? His death became our release from the law, and now we are remarried to him. Do you know whose you are? You're not the world's. You're not anybody's but his. Knowing who lives in and through us matters. So we need to know who we are. We need to know whose we are. But we need to know that the one who lives in us and through us, it matters. Because we are reunited to the resurrected Christ. And he says here, and I love the way that he says it, so that we might bear Fruit, And I want you to know that believers, all of us, Christ desires for us to bear fruit. That's the whole point of the salvation that he's given to us. Is that while we used to only be able to produce bad fruit, fruit that that led us towards death and destruction. He now says that we don't have to bear fruit that leads to death. Now he says we can bear fruit for God. Is your life bearing fruit for God? Because that's what your union with Christ is all about, that you might be sanctified, that you might become more and more like Jesus. I want you to know this morning, sanctification, if you want to know what it involves, it involves progression, not perfection. It's about maturity, isn't it? It's about becoming... All that God intended for you to believe. And in the beginning we were on milk, but it says eventually we get to the point where we can eat meat, right? He he wants us to understand and he wants us to know that absolutely beyond a shadow of a doubt, who we were 10 years ago ought not look like who we are now. Why? Because there's growth, because there's maturity. It isn't that when we get saved, suddenly we enter into some sinless perfection. Nowhere in the Bible does it state that. Nowhere in the Bible do we see that. But what we do see is it's not about uh, perfection, but it's about progression. A new direction. When you repented... You turned and you started walking a new direction. Your life looks completely different because you turned away from your will and your way and your thoughts and your dreams and your goals. And suddenly you said, Jesus Christ, I want you to live in and through me. So whatever you want me to say, that's what I'll say. Whatever you want me to do, that's what I'll do. Wherever you want me to go, that's where I'll go. Let me ask you, how different would life look if we did that? If we just simply started every day with, not my will, your will. Lord Jesus, get rid of my thoughts. Give me your thoughts. Lord, Lord, don't let me choose my ways. Give me your ways. It would change everything about our lives, and we would see that if every day we would do that, As long as we live in this life, we would never reach perfection. But I am telling you, there would be much progression. And I want you to look. Because only you can answer the question. Is it obvious to you who you are and whose you are? and that the one who you are supposedly united to, that he's doing something in you and through you. So that there's no question, no debate, that as you look back in your life, you can say, I may not be the man that I want to be, but I'm certainly not the man that I was. And that you can see the progression, the journey, the maturity, that comes with believers who are seeking the pleasure of God and not the pleasure of themselves. Lastly, fruit is produced because of our union with Christ. We have to know our identity. Until we know our identity in Christ, we'll never get to this next part of what it means to produce fruit because of our union with Christ we we know we've said it the last few weeks without Jesus we can bear no fruit that lasts if you want a life that honors and pleases God the fruitfulness of that life will only come through the power of the spirit of God remember again it's what Clint preached if you get separated from the vine as a branch you die you can accomplish nothing There's no life apart from Jesus. So without Jesus, we can bear no fruit that lasts. The Christian life, secondly, is about bearing fruit. It's not optional to say that I'm not bearing fruit as a believer. The Bible says you'll be known by your fruit. You say, what does it mean to bear fruit in Jesus? Write these down real quick. It means that you manifest the character of Jesus. To make manifest means to display. That you display the characteristics of Jesus, that you are patient, that you are kind, that you love, that you are gracious and merciful, that you act with justice and righteousness and holiness. But it's not just manifesting the character of Jesus It's producing the sacrifice of praise. I believe that part of the fruit that Jesus wants of our lives is our lives become worship to Him. We were created for worship. We were created for His glory, to give Him glory. And you show me a believer and I'll show you a person that loves to praise. That's what it means to bear fruit, but also displaying a life of righteousness. Our lives should be defined by righteousness. Now again, I didn't say perfection, but righteousness. Our desires to do what's right, what's good, what's holy. Our lives should look different from the world. And I want you to see that fruitfulness also has to do with reproducing through evangelism, through church planting, through missional living. Now let me ask you a question. Are you bearing fruit that lasts? Let those things be the measuring stick. The peace, the patience, the joy, the gentleness, the faithfulness, the self, all those things that we talk about with the fruit of the Spirit. Is that evident in your life? Is it obvious to you and to everyone around you? Do you live a life of righteousness? Is your heart full of praise? Do you do you long to be I love what John said, to long to be with God's people that when you're not here, you miss it because you so desire to worship? And do you even care about the people outside these walls? that you and I together would do anything to evangelize, to plant new churches, to live missionally out in the world for the sake of the gospel and for the sake of their souls. You see, here is the reality, and I close with this. When we talk about fruit being produced because of our union with Christ, I want you to know that one way or another we will all bear fruit, but the question is, what kind? See, this is where the soul searching begins. This is where you got to take the mirror and you got to draw the lines and you got to be willing to stand in front of that mirror and let God evaluate you. We're known by our fruit. You show me a person who's united with Christ, I'll show you a man or woman, boy or girl that is bearing fruit, because that means that the seed of the gospel, it's hit fertile soil. And when the gospel hits that fertile heart, you know what happens? It bears fruit 10 times, 60 times, 100 times what it was when it was planted. The Bible says very plainly right here, Jesus put it this way, He said, a bad tree can only produce bad fruit. And a good tree can only produce good fruit. What fruit are you bearing? Because we're all bearing fruit of some type. He also said here, this is the way that the Apostle Paul would put it. He said, some of you were still living under the law. Condemned in your sin and... The only fruit that you can produce is a fruit of death. He says, but some of you, because you're united with Christ and with his spirit, you bear fruit for God. And so church, I want you just to look today. Look into your heart. Ask yourself the question. Is there a part of you that screams out, I'm going to obey God and he's going to love me? Is there a part of you that screams out, I'm good enough, God owes me? Is there a part of you that thinks that you're bold enough to stand before God and say, give me what I deserve? You're living your life thinking the law can save you and the law will not save you. It will only condemn you. What you need is faith in Christ. What you need is to be united in Him. To love Him, to follow Him, to worship Him, to serve Him. And when you are united with Jesus Christ, for the first time in your life, you'll be able to breathe because you're free. Not free to sin, free to worship. Free to live in peace. Free to live empowered and to overcome sin. Folks, the last thing I want for anyone in this room is for you to think you're free and you're still living in the cage of legalism. Or that in your heart, in your mind, you still think, if I died right now, is there a party that says, oh, I just hope I'm good enough? If that's what you're thinking, if that's what you're living, You've misunderstood the gospel and you need to hear it again. It's not because you're good enough you'll be saved, it's because He was. And He died in your place. And He offered you freedom. Father, Your Word, Lord, it changes us, it illuminates, it helps us to grasp and understand even these most difficult truths. Where, Lord, we grasp that the law just takes us towards death. It just screams at us how desperately we need you. So, Father, I pray today that, Lord, we wouldn't, Lord, hesitate to run to you. Lord, that we would recognize our desperate need. And that we would cry out in repentance. That we would cry out for forgiveness. Lord, that we would turn from our wicked ways and that we would follow after you, Lord, knowing that you are leading us towards life. Lord, give us a heart of worship. Give us a heart of thankfulness. Give us a heart that desires to please you above anything else. Lord, I pray that we would, by faith today, recognize and realize Now, Lord, you have imparted in us a new desire and a new ability. And, Lord, it's just because of you. So, Lord, help us to believe it, to claim it, to cling to it. And, Lord, that we would leave this place so in love with you, so amazed by you. that our hearts would desire nothing more than to please you. We want to walk with you. We want to know you. And so, Lord Jesus, may transformation come today. Lord, there are some today that need you as Lord and Savior. Lord, some are like Sherry Reims. Some are like Steve Canton. Some are like Tim Zimmerman. Lord, they've been in these seats, but, Lord, they... In the stillness of this hour, they know that they are far from you. And Lord, I pray you would remind them just as you did those three. That if they will just come home, you're waiting. If you will just cry out, you'll hear. Lord, if they will just repent. Lord, it's never too late. So Father, you work in our hearts today. You help us to measure where we are spiritually. You help us to answer, Lord, what kind of fruit are we bearing? Because we are bearing either fruit unto death or fruit for God. And Lord, I pray that we would be honest with ourselves today. Shine your light. Help us to see in Jesus' name. Amen. Church, pray. If you're here today and you need Christ, I hope that you'll receive Christ today. He opens his arms. To you, he invites you to come. If you need salvation, if today the gospel is moving you towards Jesus Christ, then I pray that today will be the day that you have the courage to come.